how does one go from netball and dance to boxing? How exactly do you learn to get punched in the face and keep moving forward? What's it like heading into your third Commonwealth Games and deal with the expectations of success that you and others hold? And what exactly is involved in the transition from the amateur to the professional ranks of women's boxing? I'm Joey Lynch and this is Beyond the Lead with Commonwealth Games boxing representative Kay Scott. You can't have women's boxing at the Commonwealth Games without Australian Kay Scott. That's literally, for now at least, with the Sydney-based fighter having previously fought at the 2014 Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, when women's boxing was first introduced, and at the 2018 iteration on the Gold Coast, where she took out bronze in the welterweight division. Now, the 38-year-old is set to make history when she competes for Australia in her third Games in Birmingham. In a wide-ranging conversation with ESPN's Adam Santarosa, recorded before she jetted off to Britain, Scott reflected upon a boxing career that began at university after she originally partook in dance and netball as a youngster, taking part in the first legally sanctioned women's boxing match in New South Wales back in 2009, life at the Commonwealth Games, and the importance of mindset and blocking out the external noise. She also opened up on her thinking on transitioning into the professional ranks and how working at that level differed from amateur fighting. But first, she touched on the preparations for her third Commonwealth Games and if it was any easier the third time around. There's not a huge amount that really kind of changes in the training camp itself. Um, I feel like I'm bringing a lot more experience into the ring. both physically and also mentally managing the nerves and just the whole preparation and having your mindset in the right space. Um, Still a little bit of a a different situation because of COVID, keeping particularly um, Australia out of any international competition. We were pretty much locked out for nearly two years other than the people that made it to the Olympics. We had no international competition. sparring or competition there but um we did have the world championships at the start of this year which was really great to get a a big event in um and under our belt and kind of back under the lights and going through the process before we moved to com games so that was kind of reassuring to have that there i was going to touch on covid later but we might as well jump into it now (laughs) it's been uh for your like like reading up on your story and hearing you talk uh, in other interviews about the impact COVID has had, it's been a massive, I guess, disruption to your career and, and trying to maintain your career in terms of, as you said, the sparring, training, international tournaments. It's, it's been chaos, really, for you. Yeah. I think um, particularly with Australia being very strict, um, the international flights in and out, and then also within your ability to train and move within five kilometres of your area, And certain, I guess, certain states were affected more so and Sydney and Melbourne were definitely um, on the higher end of that. It did pretty much put things almost at a halt for kind of over 12 months, closer to a year and a half with it. Um, That made things difficult. You just got to adapt with it. It's not like I went on a break for that period of time, but it was a lot less being with my coach, a lot less being able to do partner work and 
there come some of the really important things to be able to maintain that distance and timing within boxing as a sport. I imagine sparring would have been the biggest impact. Uh, I know there's not a lot of obviously female fighters in Australia that you can spar with at the best of times, but obviously COVID will just impact that even more. So it must be, that must be the biggest challenge. Yeah, that, that was, um, you, you're spot on. It was very, very difficult to be able to be doing any sparring itself at all, just because of the rules for a long period of time. And then even when we were, it was, it was made yeah, extremely challenging. And, and it was probably noticeable. Like, like I said, we did have the world championships at the start of this year, but a lot of us Aussies, I think we probably could have done a little bit better, but because it was the first big tournament back in literally I think I had in my book, it was two years. It was my first stage of Olympic qualifiers. It was bang on two years since I'd had any international tournament. And you could see that the the European girls that we were up against, they had, maybe they had a short lockdown of a couple of months. But other than that, I, I kind of looked at the record when I went against my opponent from Kazakhstan and kind of was like, I'll look at a bit of video footage. And there was just constant videos of her coming back when she'd, won the medal two months ago in China, then we had gone over in Italy in this tournament. So it did definitely put us on, on the back foot on being able to um, be at the that top level, which is where you need all those 1% counts at, at this elite level of sport. Talk us through that, that World Championships experience, because obviously you had the high of winning silver uh, in 2018. And then uh, obviously the, the uh, listening, you talk through that experience i mean the fact that it was initially cancelled and then you the experience in sheffield uh such a roller coaster for you the fact that you you reached the quarterfinal stages at all is still quite an achievement given everything you've just detailed as well yeah um obviously directly uh during comp and after after i i lost um my bout which stopped me going through to the semis i was bitterly disappointed but on reflection i think making top eight um is still a very reasonable performance considering the situation that I ran out before with um, non-competing and, and the training limitations that we've had. Um, still challenging when you know previously that, you, that you've meddled before at this tournament um, and you, you have high expectations of yourself and you want to do better. But um, I think it's, it's very reasonable and it was a a, a good performance to put on leading into this Commonwealth game. So we've still had another whole entire camp to work through um, and we'll get some great quality sparring um, with our international tournament um, training camp over in Ireland. So uh, it puts me in a good place for, for Com Games. I want to touch on the Com Games uh, a little bit later, but let's go back to your, I guess, the start of your boxing journey and uh, pretty incredible start. Uh, talk us through how you got into boxing. Yeah, I, I'm definitely very late into the sport compared with, you see all the young whippersnappers, kind of eight and nine getting into it. Um, I wish I'd been able to do it back then, but um, I was always doing dance and kind of netball um, quite competitively. I was playing state league all the way up until um, end of high school, but playing netball since I was kind of seven years old, I was getting a little bit bored of it. Um, started my university degree and um, had been going to the gym, um, just doing fitness classes there to keep my fitness up. And I decided that year I didn't want to do netball anymore. Um, and I started doing a few like fitness boxing classes called Boxercise at our gym. 
And I've been doing that for a while. And the instructor was actually a boxer himself and also a coach. And he'd kind of been digging at me each week going, oh, you throw a punch pretty well and you're really fit. You should hang around after the class. I teach some boys and we we go through some proper boxing. Like, you're welcome to hang around. And I was like, no, 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 no. And after about two months, I was like, okay, I'll I'll come back just, just today and give it a go. And I dragged my best friend with me um, and I walked out of that class and I literally just fell in love with it. Um, and she walked out of that class and was like, I am never doing that again, ever. <laughs> um, so it unfolded from there. I decided to kind of join my local PCYC club, started just going a few times a week um, and I just fell in love with it. So joined that community. The boys were starting to fight on the weekends and I was like, oh, come support and watch. And after I'd been doing it for a little while, I spoke to the, the head coach there and was like, oh, do you think it'd be a possibility for, for me to train up and like, I can have a fight. And he kind of just said no. And I was like, huh? say what? What, the, what do you mean? He's like, no, it's, Ill- it's illegal in New South Wales. And I was shell shocked. Like, it just seemed at that time, I'm pretty sure it was about 2009. Um, I just couldn't believe it. it. seemed so in the dark ages that that wouldn't have occurred. But, um, yeah, it was did have a quick change because it was introduced to 2012 Olympics. So New South Wales did decriminalise um, uh, boxing for females um, as a sport. And when that happened, I was like, I'm going to have a fight. <laughs> um, so I was actually uh, the first uh, legalised female fight in New South Wales. So pretty cool piece of um, history and we've had such forward progress with the sport um, in Australia and, and worldwide. So, so, yeah, really exciting to be part of that. T- tell us the experience at the gym. I mean, I've been in boxing gyms very uh, you know, in my limited fighting career, which we won't go into, but because um, yeah. it wasn't as extensive as yours or as successful as yours. But uh, talk us through the gym. I mean, the gyms are a pretty intimidating place at the best of times. I can imagine um, being a female and being the only female in the gym as well. It must be quite an experience for you when you, we're very new to the sport as well. Oh, definitely. Um, like, I think lucky that I have a pretty disciplined and focused mind because I think when I went to the PCYZ, I was pretty much ignored for about four months. There was, I was the only girl that was there and I kind of just thought, what's this girl doing? There's obviously no competition for her to be able to do anything. And maybe a coach came up and was like, said two sentences to me as I was hitting the heavy bag, having no idea what I was doing. Um, and it was only after probably like that extended period of time they realised, okay, she is committed to coming into here and started getting a, a little bit more help and coaching with things. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely daunting. And even just <laughs> I remember the, the sparring for the first time. It's like it's very scary. And I guess for a lot of people and particularly females, you're not used to someone coming at you throwing punches and it did take a little bit of a while for me to change from that kind of like shell defense and just my automatic reaction was just like put your head down and cover your hands up you had to kind of break that natural reactive pattern um but that's what makes it so exciting it's such an evolution to uh 
change from being there where you'd literally cower and not know what to do um, to learning about the defense, the offense, and that it, it's such an artful sport um, to get it right. And they often use that analogy of like it being a chess match. And it really is. It's not street brawling. And yes, certain periods of it can come into that when we, when you're toe to toe, but um, that classic boxing is about hit and don't get hit. And, and it's very difficult to master. I'm fascinated that you say that, that you uh, initially were a bit frightened and, and, and didn't like the contact. I mean, most people that experience boxing, they have that moment where they find, oh, okay, they take a punch and they go, this is for me. You know, I, I can, I can withstand this. And then conversely, other people are like, oh, I hate this. Uh, you know, this sport is not for me. But the fact that you, you had, I guess, the negative side of it, but then worked through it is pretty fascinating that, that, that composure, I think is the hardest thing to find in boxing that when you, when you're in inspiring, just as, stay in the moment i think so the fact you work through that is pretty pretty remarkable most people would walk away i imagine at that point yeah i I, i've got some little switch in my head i I don't like not being good at something so despite those feelings of uh cowering and being worried about things I, i just wanted to be better at it um so it forced me to keep turning up at the gym and like practice get better get better so <laughs> Talk us through that first fight. Uh, I've read a little bit about it where you had some TV cameras given it was so historic, the first one in New South Wales, obviously making history. But talk us through it because it was a very interesting experience from, a, I guess, a legality standpoint, the way that it was decided in the end and how things went down. Um, yeah, it's casting my mind back quite a while now, 2009. So, But I, I still remember snippets of it. I think for anyone if they reflect back on their first fight it is an extremely nerve-wracking period of time like you're just so worried and it was actually in my hometown area so I had a lot of family and friends that are all there so you throw that kind of expectation on top um and I just remember being out in the back dressing rooms and trying to like calm myself down and my coach is there and I turn my head around and there's a tv camera (laughs) literally like right in my face which kind of ramps things up um even more so on on the nerves department um the fight itself honestly I don't remember too much I was so caught up in the moment and I have looked back on some footage of it and I (laughs) hang my head in shame because there's no technique I clearly lost the moment there's some windmill hands going everywhere um but it was so much fun. Um, I had such a great time in there. So, well, I've uh, I've burnt the DVD of my first fight, so don't uh, don't worry. There's no evidence of it. Hopefully, um, so yeah. I, the bloody I, internet keeps stuff on there. I'm like, oh, I wish I could hide that. <laughs> I was going to touch on it later, but uh, I often see your Instagram posts. Uh, mess- people obviously criticizing technique, and and we all we all love our uh, our weekend warriors that get on social media and, and critique boxing. How how do you find that as a fighter and someone that's obviously won a world championship medal? So uh, you you're pretty. Uh, you know you certainly know what you're doing take it with a grain of salt the majority of times um but if I read it and I'm in a funny headspace sometimes I will retaliate back to it because it just frustrates me so much I know I should just be like a blank slate and just let it wash over 
but it is. I don't understand. Like I would never get onto any other person's posts and start giving them coaching advice. Firstly, if I wasn't qualified. And secondly, you don't know the context. You're you're watching a 20-second clip and you're starting to give coaching advice. I remember one of them, it was a round from doing my lead hand on the bag. That was the instructions, the round, lead hand only on the bag. And someone started going, you don't even use your right hand, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, it just made me see red. <laughs> but uh, it's just part of life now. You, you're going to get those people um, and you, you just got to kind of try not to take anything too much to heart. Just what? Just watch a few of them before a fight to get you in that that zone you need to be yeah. in. I guess. <laughs> At the national curriculum, we always say availability is the best ability. That's why the national curriculum is now available on ESPN wherever you get your podcasts. No ticker, Nick. No ticker. Well, I want to touch back on the the Commonwealth Games. I, I'm fascinated by the village and the, the Australian team. Can you tell us what life is like? out of Commonwealth Games when, you, when you're part of that team and, and the craziness of the village? Oh, it's such, like, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, obviously, being to two of them, I probably my best memory is up in the Gold Coast because it was the hometown there. Um, everyone's just so friendly with each other. The Australian kind of little community hub of all the athletes together, uh, friendly you're saying giving high fives you're checking up on people like you're down in the laundry and you'll have a conversation waiting in line down there um it's just so much fun and there's so much support from both within your sport but also people will be like oh i watched your match and it's just yeah it's really special um it is unfortunately going to be a little bit different in birmingham um where actually there is no village. Um, a lot of this has to do with COVID stopping some of the constructions of the sites, but also um, managing the COVID situation as well. They're trying to minimise um, athletes interacting with each other because if you bring back a, a positive result at all, you're basically exiled out of village. So it, it is quite not bothered about COVID itself. I've already had it, but it's very scary to think that if you have a rat test and you are positive on that second day, you're in the village, like that's your entire preparation and you're, you're out, that's it. Um, so that is kind of a little bit nerve wracking um, there, but I'm sure it's still going to be absolutely amazing and doesn't take my, even we might not have that, same being able to go and watch some of the events and there'll, there'll be limitations there my goal always and priority is my performance and what I'm going in there for which is to get the gold medal so um that's where my focus will be and um I'm sure there'll still be plenty of options with a big screen down to to watch and support that way I was going to touch on the food hall. I've heard that that's the highlight of any uh, Commonwealth Games in the Olympics. Um, but I imagine as a fighter, obviously you've got to stay on weight uh, throughout the tournament. I imagine it's it's your worst nightmare because it's all there, but you can't actually enjoy any of it. Uh, it is so difficult for the weight-based sports, more so. But still, even for the non-weight-based sports, you can't suddenly get into the village and change your entire diet just because there's every single cuisine you can think of. Um, 
which just requires that little bit of extra willpower, especially when you walk into the dining hall, like just all the smells and you're just like, okay, no, I'm going to have my, my oats and my fruit and that's my breakfast. And then I'm just going to get out of the hall because I don't want to look at anything else. Um, but it, it is nice when you, you finish competition that you can uh, go in and try not to gorge yourself, but uh, <laughs> um, indulge yourself a little bit there. Talk us through a, a life at a boxing tournament. I mean, I don't think people quite understand what it is like. I mean, obviously you go in there and before the draw, you obviously don't know who you're going to fight until the draw is made. So you can't really do too much until you know. Um, you're fighting sometimes every second day. You've got to stay on weight. So it's 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 such a tough time to be a, a boxer through, a, through an amateur tournament. I don't think people quite understand what it takes. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that at all particularly when we go overseas they're kind of like oh the last place we're in turkey oh that'd be so awesome like you're only fighting every third day you'll be able to go out and explore and i'm like you can't do that like you are you're watching your weight you you do your training session and you're basically back in your room like resting and recovering you can't be out on your feet traipsing around in a city on your feet all day like that's not the way it works unfortunately like it, it's fantastic as a sport to take you traveling around the world, but it's not like going on a holiday at all. Um, biggest part is like going exploring and indulging in the different food and all that kind of stuff. And, and we just can't do that. Um, I consider myself a very professional athlete and its priority is to bring your A game performance. And you can't do that if you're, staying up late, wandering around when you're supposed to be resting. You you do your training, you shower, you eat, you relax and rest. So you can do your next training in the afternoon and bring your A game. So um, it just does require discipline and a lot of people don't quite realise, um, yeah, how important that is to it. And what about your coaching as well? Obviously, you work, uh, you've worked with Jamie Pittman in the past and, and, and there's obviously a national boxing coach. How, how does that work, the dynamic between, you know, you know, you're working with different coaches at different times? It must be, that must be a challenge in itself. Yeah, it, it can be definitely challenging because um, the majority with the Australian program, it's a decentralised program. So the vast majority of our training is done through our home coach, so our local club gym. Um, and then when we go into training camps or traveling overseas, we have the Australian national coach. Um, I'm fortunate enough in, in this situation is that the Australian coach has been around for, this is his eighth year, I think. So I have a lot of experience with him. He knows me as an athlete. I understand his terminology, but that first initial um kind of transition when he came in as the coach it it was um a little bit challenging it takes a little bit of time especially when you're not with each other all the time is to understand how they're saying things to you to give coaching advice in the corner um just having to building that rapport and that um understanding and respect with each other to really believe and trust in what they're doing um and telling you to do um that comes with time so um I really actually prefer having my home coach because I know exactly the instructions and we're on each other one-on-one. -on -one. I know exactly what I've got to do. Um, and it's definitely will be more challenging for some of the boys in our team because they're fresh um, into this uh, cycle. We've got a lot of brand new boys where this is actually probably their first 
international, um, some of them first international tournaments, a couple of them have done some small like fight over in New Zealand. Um, so, and then you are working along with coach Kevin. Um, so it has been good that we had a training camp up in Brisbane for two weeks. So they've been able to do some work with him there. Um, but I definitely found that part quite challenging, that, that transition period. I want to talk about uh, pressure and, and expectation. S- something you've probably dealt with, obviously, the silver at the World Championships puts a bit of a target on you, and, and there's now a bit of expectation at future tournaments that, you know, that's the standard now for, for Kay Scott, whether that's that's true or not. Uh, and the journey to a Commonwealth Games, journey to an Olympics, it's four years of your life culminating in one tournament. What's that pressure like going in there and, and dealing with expectation at the same time? Um, that's a, a very, very important issue for um, any athlete. And it's probably something for the vast majority of my career that I didn't spend enough time doing work on. I think um, the Australian team or even just maybe the Australian culture we're starting to realize a little bit more about the importance of that mental aspect of things but we still don't really do anything to to train it or help it um anything that we do on that side of stuff is pretty much um a solo adventure that you that you put in the time for yourself so I actually started probably two years ago um, and I work with a mindset coach called Claudine and she's really, really helped my whole mindset um, leading into competitions and not having the losses kind of define you as a person or as an athlete to not get so wound up in your head about it, um, which is kind of why I feel like I'm, I'm coming into this tournament and, and even the world's like, just a much different fighter, the way I kind of think about training and I analyze things and the way I talk to myself in my head, they're all such small little things, but it's these small little details that make a big difference to your improvement as an athlete and your performance as an athlete. And I think it's something that um, if you want to make it to the top, you have to spend more time um, building that and I do that through now I I listen to a lot of podcasts of different people with ex-athletes and just working on that robustness of of your mind and I do a few things myself just journaling and writing things and trying to incorporate more visualization Um, and I think that really is gonna um, help me win that gold medal so yeah uh, you've spoken about those challenges that you've had in recent times, obviously missing the Olympics, which COVID obviously was, was a big factor in that and, and some injuries and, and and some fights going against you, you know, decisions going against you. Has that helped in in building this mindset and, and overcoming those challenges? Has that made you, I guess, more determined or how has that impacted you? Oh, definitely. Um, I'm very open to say that actually after my last chance to be able to qualify for the Olympics. Um, those world uh, trials were cancelled and it was out of our hands to be able to um, make selections for it. And I was sitting in third spot and two people from Asia, Oceania get it. So that just meant you're not going to the Olympics. And that was, that was four years. And um, I was crushed afterwards, um, absolutely crushed. And honestly, I, I'd lost direction 
with life and whether I even wanted to keep boxing and then COVID was keeping us locked in our rooms. I was in a very bad place mentally and I actually, more than just a mindset coach, I had to go see a, a, a psychologist to keep me in the right spot um, and worked with her for a couple of months to get back on track and for me to just be able to analyse the situation and decide is this the end of my boxing career? Do I want to keep going? And I came to the conclusion that I wasn't finished with the sport, that I did still love it after I'd kind of decompressed all those emotions. And then I was able to, to flip the situation and, and use that as um, a bit of fuel to the fire to make me more determined to, I am an older athlete and I know the next few years are my last few years um, competing at that top level and I want to make the most of it and, I'm excited to see what I, I can do over the next couple of years. You're talking about those goals before. What, what, how do you look at a goal for Birmingham, for example? Is it, is it I want to win gold or is it I need to win the first fight, then we look at the second fight? How do you sort of go about that? Um, I do set an overall target. So I really think if I bring my A game, my goal is to finish on top of the podium. I, I know that that is very reasonable, very possible to happen. But then I take it back a notch and we only go fight by fight when we get in there. You don't look ahead to the next draw. You look what opponent you have, what do you need to do to win that fight? Then you look along to the next. Um, I just want to bring my best performance. That's each time. If that's not good enough and I don't make it to the goals, then it's a lot easier to digest than if you go to the match, you give a shitty performance, then then you've got something to be upset about because you didn't bring that A game and that's kind of the reason why you haven't progressed through to your goal. So it's big, big goal, goal of what I can achieve, but then it's one step at a time. Uh, and you've, you're on the record saying that you are going to go pro at the end of the, the Commonwealth Games. Can you talk us through that decision as well? Yeah, um, that was something that I, I have tossed around earlier on in my career, but um, the limitations uh, within Australia to start off and also my weight bracket, there just wasn't enough depth to really get any there. I think I'd be fighting once then having to pay money to fly people over kind of defeats the purpose. I was going to end up paying money to, to fight. Um, within the last couple of years, it's really flourishing within Australia, um, both the amateurs and the pros. There's more depth around. There's more um, opportunities to move um, internationally with it as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, that kind of helped push my decision forward. We were contemplating kind of COVID time, whether I'd make that transition then. But then with the limitations with still flying domestically, um, then the next thing you knew, we found out that it was trials for Com Games, and I was like, "Nah, let let's get the gold at, at Commonwealth Games." And I'm very happy for that to be my my last tournament in the amateurs. Of as you said, three Commonwealth Games. That's a very long period of time for um, an athlete to stay in the amateurs. Um, and I'm pretty excited to see uh, what can what can happen in the pros. Does that rule you out of a potential Olympic Games for the future? Because uh, there is that period where now I think you can have 10 professional fights and still still fight in the amateurs. Is that something you're open to or is it completely off the I, table? I am still potentially open to that. Um, I'll just be playing around with uh, 
weight. Um, my weight that was in the last Olympic cycle, um, they've changed all the weight divisions for the females. So it would mean me dropping down to 66 kilos, which is very low for me. Um, and then it's up at 75 and Caitlin, our girl's been at 75 for a long period of time and 75 is just a little bit too heavy for me to be doing my best. So, um, it's definitely still in the back of my mind as a potential because I, I know, um, Sky from, um, the Australian team of she's turned pro now. Uh, I believe she's still planning to come back and give the Olympics another crack and get a medal there. So, um, we'll, we'll just see what happens. Does your life change too much uh, being a professional fighter, obviously post the games? Uh, given I always feel the amateurs fighters work just as hard as the professionals. I mean, people look at it and say, like, well, they do 12 rounds. But, I mean, you're doing everything they're doing. You're just not making the the, the money that they're making, I guess. Is, is there only real difference? Oh, honestly, I, I think as an amateur, it's so much more difficult. Um, and we basically almost have no off-season. Um, normally, we're just... From December to Jan, like January, we're all the way, January to December, <laughs> we're working all the way through and we don't get given that much notice to win an opportunity to go overseas. So you're just constantly on the go. There's no payment. Um, I think the pros is, gives you a little bit more of a balance with your life. So you choose a, a date that you're going to be fighting. You have your training camp for that period if you want to have two months off before your next fight or three months off, you can, you can choose that. You're in a little bit more control. Whereas this is kind of decided by boxing Australia um, and where the tournaments are, you just keep fighting um, that way. And if there's something important on in your life that a brother's wedding or something, you can choose to not take a camp in that period and um, go enjoy that or go overseas when you need to. Um, so I like the idea of that. Um, just having a little bit more control in my life that way. But um, in regards to the training, I think you you do just as much work either way. And, and tell us about the the lifestyle of an amateur fighter in terms of, um, I guess, more the financial side as well. I mean, uh, you must, obviously, I've seen the, the this T-shirt sales you're doing, the fundraising you do. I mean, it, it's always hard for, for amateur fighters to, to go to these tournaments. So how hard is that as from a lifestyle sense? Obviously, you got to work as well. It must be a real challenge to fit it all in. Um, yeah, financially, it's always been super tricky. Um, luckily, over the last few years, um, Boxing Australia has had a little bit more of an injection of funds. That's because particularly the girls, we've, it's a kind of like performance-based. If you go well and bring lots of medals in, the government injects more money into it. Um, so we've done quite well, which means um, we've had more trips overseas um, and all that kind of stuff rather than us having to fund it ourselves to go over there. Um, but it, it is extremely challenging. Like we have to do our own little mini fundraisers and raffles and stuff like that because yes everyone's like oh they pay for your flights in your hotel that's good but I'm like I'm going overseas for six and a half weeks now I was like I'm like a grown woman like who's gonna pay my rent who's gonna pay my bill who's gonna pay my health care everything if it's just a week or two you're kind of like oh yeah I can manage that but like six and a half weeks and I've just come back from another two-week camp up in Brisbane it all kind of adds up so you, you you've 
got to go um, use these options, like the, the T-shirts that I have, which I have some lovely um, caring supporters that come along and, and help me and they realise the challenge with it. And as an amateur, there's not that much that you can give back to them other than kind of like your your social uh, social media promotion of their country company but they're, they're not getting a huge amount back so they're, they're really generous people that obviously love the sport or can see the, the work that you're putting in and, and that they just want to um, help and support you so it's it's nice to have those people around that, that must help you too though in in your move into the professional game because people don't understand the business side of the professional game the, the need to sell tickets particularly early in your career as as a, a rookie uh, professional and making these connections with sponsors so that that's gonna I guess help you in that that sense yeah definitely um, it is more of a business um, in the pro game and um, I think I lend myself quite well to it um, I I can speak quite well with the media and um, if I don't say myself um, I feel like I, I could be a uh, good role model within the sport to be able to get some more um, brands on board. And then we actually have the ability to give back to them a lot more being on that TV platform and uh, having a lot more exposure with the media to try to be able to help out. So it's kind of give and take both ways. What's your thoughts on the, on the professional scene at the moment? You mentioned the females before Sky Nicholson, obviously uh, making a pretty good fist of her professional career with Matchroom at the moment. Uh, Ebony Bridges uh, is a world champion, Lynn Sandstrom, Shannon O'Connell, Taylor Robertson, like they're all uh, really firing at the moment. It must excite you that these opportunities are out there. Oh, absolutely. Kind of just really kind of, reconfirms that I am making that right decision and the opportunities are there as long as you you pull out the great boxing um it's getting much more females are getting much more respect from the public and and realizing that we've got the same skills as the the men and we can be very very entertaining um as a sport to watch so um yeah really really excited to be able to jump on board with uh couple of the big shows and um, get out there and, and show my skills. Is there anything you can reveal to us or is it all under lock and key until the post games? Like, are you, are you talking to promoters? Is there, is there anything done at the moment or? Uh, honestly, it is. I've absolutely kept it only in the last kind of month or two. Have I even mentioned it to people? I've got my eyes on the prize to just finish off um, the amateurs perform well in the Commonwealth Games, and then I'll make discussions. Um, I have definitely kind of just floated the word to say um, there's a few people that I'll go and have a, a, a chat with um, post-com games, but any of that actual planning and, and talking with stuff is going to happen after the Commonwealth Games. All right. Well, what's, uh, what's a successful Birmingham 2022 for you in finishing up? What, what's, what do you want to walk? Obviously, the gold medal is at the end of the day. But if that's not there, what, what could you hold your head up high and say uh, post-Birmingham 2022? Um, <laughs> really has to have that medal there. <laughs> uh, but as I said, performance-wise, if I get out there and, and do a, a show-stopping performance and it's a war between two people, and I'm just unlucky with the decision and I'm, I'm not quite able to get the win in the in the judge's eyes, I will definitely, I'm sure I'll be gutted initially, but I'll be able to, on reflection, go back and like, you know what, you went out there, you gave a 
a, a top performance. My coach will still be happy with me and I can look back on it and we go, I gave everything that I could in that moment. Um, and then to just still be a great role model within the team and to support everyone else and encourage them that are still on. Like, yes, it's an individual sport, but we're there as, as an Australian team and I want to make sure that I'd, I'd give all the support um, to everyone else that's still competing and making their way through um, to try to earn their own gold medal as well. So, yeah, that's what it looked like. Well, crossing our fingers, we're hoping uh, the third Commonwealth Games ends in gold for you. Um, all the best, and, and I'm sure you, you've had a remarkable career. I'm sure you're going to write another chapter in Birmingham, and uh, I'm sure you do as proud. Thanks so much, Adam. Appreciate it. The boxing portion at the Commonwealth Games is set to commence on August 3, with the finals scheduled to take place on the 7th. You can keep track of all the details of those fights, as well as the rest of Australia's exploits at the Commonwealth Games on ESPN.com.au and across the various ESPN Australia and New Zealand social media accounts. But for now, I'd like to thank you for joining us on another edition of ESPN's Beyond the Lead, this time for a conversation between ESPN's Adam Santarosa and Kay Scott. I've been your host, Joey Lynch, and as a reminder, you can catch this episode, every other episode of Beyond the Lead, and all of ESPN's collection of podcasts and other audio goodness wherever you do so happen to get your potties from. If you're enjoying Beyond the Lead or any of those other pods, be sure to subscribe, leave a famous five-star review, and help spread the word. But thanks for listening today, tomorrow, or whenever. You happen to be listening in, and do not fret, as I'll catch you soon for another deep dive into the world of sport, as ESPN takes you beyond the lead very soon.